First things first, I'm the realest. realest. Drop this and let the whole world feel it. Let them feel it. And I'm still in the murder business. I can hold you down like I'm giving lessons in physics. Fast. I'm so fancy. You already know. I'm in the fast lane. From LA to Tokyo. Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. And if the weather this past week has been any indication of what's to come this summer, then I can only say things are looking up. It's amazing how the sun can lift your spirits even in the middle of a pandemic. So I hope you're sitting outside on your balcony, your front step, your backyard, wherever it may be, getting some extra vitamin D right now as you listen to the show because I've got entertainment, financial advice, and even some travel dreams to share with you today. Joining me first is Justin Fraser, Community Wealth Advisor with Meridian Credit Union. And he has a unique and memorable approach to building and maintaining your personal wealth, even in light of COVID-19. Small business owners have had to pivot in a big way because of this pandemic, and true entrepreneurial spirit is shining through. So the organizers of Adapt, Invent, Thrive are giving back with an online summit with inspiring speakers and great information to help propel small business owners forward. Michelle Davies joins me to share how you can join in and learn with this digital conference. There is no denying that dogs and humans have a special bond. And during this pandemic, the rise in demand for rescue dogs has skyrocketed, which makes Leora Eisen's documentary, Rescuing Rex, particularly timely. We discussed the rise of Adopt, Don't Shop and some of the challenges and triumphs in adopting a rescue dog. And Brody is getting deep with us this week as she brings a string of human interest documentaries and even one mockumentary you won't want to miss. Finally, we're all dreaming of travel. So we're kicking off a new series on what she said that would allow you to plan now and travel later. Our first featured destination is a bucket list vacation for most people. So join me as we dream a little about the islands of Tahiti. So I hope you're soaking up the sun as we get going with this week's show on 105.9 The Region. Tax Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Jim Lang. Does tax season make you nervous? Yeah, me too. That's where H&R Block Canada comes in. Join me and Lisa Gittin, Senior Tax Professional, for Tax Tuesday and Tax Thursday. From the options to file your taxes to common mistakes we all make, H&R Block Canada is here to help. Every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 9.15 on 105.9 The Region. These challenging times call for special moments to remember how grateful we are for each other and those we love. Evergreen Hospice invites you to their Pass the Care Forward virtual memorial walk. Dance, skip, climb up and down the stairs in your home to honor the memories of your loved ones. Evergreen receives only 30% of their funding from government sources. The rest is raised through events like this and other activities, all of which have been impacted by cancellations and closures related to COVID-19. We need each other more than ever. Go to evgcares.org for more details on how you can participate to pass the care forward. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Stand a little taller. Doesn't mean I'm lonely when I'm alone. What doesn't kill you makes a fighter. What's that fever lighter? Doesn't mean I'm lonely. 
We've all heard of filling someone else's bucket, but what about filling our own? Joining me today is Justin Fraser, Community Wealth Advisor with Meridian Credit Union, and he has a unique approach to building and maintaining our personal wealth, even in light of COVID-19. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So you have an approach to saving and sort of maintaining our own personal wealth that I think a lot of people will really um, understand. So start to explain to me what you mean by three buckets. Right. So especially during these times when it seems so unprecedented seems to be the word that keeps on going around, um, you know, when people look at their own finances, we have to make sure that um, we have a comfortability that, yes, some parts are affected and it isn't, it isn't too light to take, but there are parts of your money that you're not going to be necessarily using for, for today or tomorrow or even seven years from now. So what we try to do is try to compartmentalize three different buckets and to, to actually visualize and actually know, okay, this bucket of my money is short-term money. I'm going to need access to this, so I need it very safe. And then there's money that you're going to be using in the long, longer term, seven plus years, that could take the fluctuations or events like COVID. So if we do split our money up, then we can protect our money in, in case of circumstances like today. Okay, so we have one bucket that's short term, one bucket that's long term. What's that third bucket? And then there's a third bucket. Right. So, and for those that you can see, um, basically what we do is we have, we have the three buckets. And in the first bucket, and for those who can see my horrible drawing, um, I was very good at math, not so good in the arts. Um, but in the first bucket, we have our safety. This is basically zero to two years if you were in retirement stance, but we want, we want this bucket for safety and safety only. So things like cash, things like very short-term offer, GIC offers, that type of thing that are less than one year. If you want that money, you go and you spend it, but there's no fluctuations. It's immediately accessible. So the first bucket is safety. The second bucket is income. So in the income bucket, we're not necessarily, it's not as accessible, but it's still guaranteed. So these are things like uh, GICs that are guaranteed for a specified amount of time. Um, so you lose liquidity or be able to access the money, but where you gain is you get higher interest. So we focus on getting higher interest, but still security. This is basically three to year seven. Then what we have is our final bucket. And our final bucket is where we're trying to get growth. So in the growth, that's where we think of our stocks or our mutual funds or our things that are fluctuating in value. So those are going to give us the most amount of money over the long period, but they go through times like today where they fluctuate in value. So people get scared or excited and it can move the value up and down. I'm guessing that it's important to leave that growth bucket alone. Exactly, so if, if we leave this growth bucket alone, then we can ride the waves and try to make sure that we get the most amount of money um, to justify the ups and downs. So this bucket is where you're gonna get the most amount of uh, return on your money, but sometimes they go through that periods of fluctuation. So if we set it up that you have seven years of potential income, say, in retirement, or if you set up that you have multiple sources of buckets, if something comes up like job loss or, um, or a COVID-19 type situation, then we don't need to access, access this money until we've actually gone through this 
and then this, and then finally this. So this eliminates the risk of needing to access your money when it's not necessarily worth as much as it should be worth. And as time moves on, uh, you know, as we move through each of these stages, the growth bucket eventually becomes the income and safety buckets. Is this correct? Sort of a spillover effect? Right. So when you are finally starting to draw your income or even in a situation where you are in an emergency situation, they need to draw from this. You draw from the first bucket and then the second bucket as those GICs mature and as those income comes in, this one replenishes the bucket where you took out from here. And then the growth on the third bucket, we basically turn the tap on there and then the growth in the third bucket, we basically have the funnel dripping into the second bucket. So those will purchase new GICs and then the GICs, the interest and the ones that come maturity drip down to the first bucket in the savings account and then that will pay out your yearly income for say a retiree. So if we do this and say COVID-19 does happen and your final bucket is now worth you know, 10% less and you're thinking, I have lost 10%. Well, we haven't lost it unless we sold it. So all we should do is we turn that tap off. We turn that guy off. So if we turn the tap off on the, the third bucket for a retiree, we still have seven years of income that we don't necessarily have to dabble into the stuff that has dropped down in value to allow it to come back, to allow prices to, turn, to normalize and for, for um, to be able to replenish the other box. You, you say you're not a very good artist, but I have to say this little drawing that you are sharing with me on the video for this is actually really making sense. And it seems so easy. Still, I feel like probably the best thing is to get in and talk to an advisor uh, to help set up what you need to put in each bucket because again what you invest in varies for each bucket correct very much and, and the biggest thing is that the, the amount that we draw out of the first bucket or how much each person needs in each bucket varies on a lot of things like um, like how much pension they're gonna get or what kind of job they have or what kind of lifestyle they have you know I once had a person who was used to living off of $700 a month and that seems I, there's no way I'd be able to do that. I mean, rent alone in Barrie for a, a two-bedroom apartment is like $1,500. So somehow she was able to get $700 a month as her income. So her buckets are very, very small. There's other people that I've showed them that, you know, their $300,000 lifestyle isn't really necessarily going to be, be able to be maintained. So they need much, much larger buckets depending on their lifestyles that they want or need to continue on. So the buckets are very much different and if you sit with an advisor they can try to show you how much you're going to actually need in each bucket to make sure that you live the same lifestyle that you want to maintain. So I guess that's the um, first step then is establishing sort of what kind of lifestyle and being realistic about that um, is would be the first step in establishing how big each bucket needs to be. Also sort of when we're planning you know most people are planning this pre-retirement how many is there sort of like a years people should be planning this out uh, or can they start later? The, I mean, the old rule of thumb is always invest yesterday. That's always the best day to invest. And the earlier you start, the, the more of a cushion you can build. Um, so basically our, our money can be compounding kind of like a snowball. And if we start earlier, it's a lot easier to build yourself a nice nest egg. 
it's very much still a possibility later on, but your buckets might just be more, um, there might be a more realistic constraint based on the time frame that you have to grow your buckets. So the earlier you start, the easier it is, and the, the, the better um, chances you have to maintain your buckets going forward. But it's definitely, it's, it's, you know, it's never too late and always to, to you know, see an advisor to at least, you know, get your head out of the sand and to, to see the realities of uh, what your current situation is. Um, yeah. I really loved how you explained this. I, I wish you would actually take this into the schools. It's brilliant and it's so easy to understand how this works. Uh, but if people want to get in touch with you right now, what's the best for the way for them to do that in light of COVID? Are you still seeing people in branches? How are you working that now? Well, actually, just very similar to what we're doing right now. I'm able to uh, still see people via Skype. Um, we do have uh, the branches are open and there are people seeing um, seeing members, you know, with with extra precaution uh, taking place. I myself currently am uh, officially my first day on paternity leave, so I'll be not seeing anyone. Thank you, thank you. Um, so little Kaya has a has starred in some of my videos that I've been able to to try to keep in touch with the branches um, during this time. But uh, so if anyone does want to uh, look at that video, we can definitely share that. Um, but we are trying to make business as usual as much as unusual as it is. And what I've been telling people is that as much as this is an unusual circumstance that we're dealing with in the, the stock market world and in the business world, it's a very normal part of the economic cycle being, you know, a downturn or a correction. Like this is very something expected. And again, so if you do sit in an advisor and do something like this, then you are, you're preparing for this. You have a plan and action to take advantage of this. Well, thank and you very much. Thing for I'm the, uh, the school thing, you know, I, I learned, I got fortunate enough to learn from a teacher who brought this completely out of his, uh, his spectrum on what he was trying to teach. But he taught us things like this, and I, I forever was passionate about that. So I'm trying, and hopefully, you know, we can get out to the school system much more on teaching people some basics. Amazing. Thank you very much, Justin. This was incredibly enlightening. I always feel better after I speak with somebody at Meridian. Uh, we'll look forward to having you back another time. Wonderful. Thanks a lot, Candice. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Smash Kitchen in Markham continues to make the great food that you love. Your faves are available for takeout or through your favorite delivery service. Not only that, but they've lowered prices and offered a 15% discount on all orders in response to these extraordinary times. Visit SmashKitchen.com to find out more. Urban Maharajas is North America's first organic Indian cuisine restaurant and Vaughn's best kept secret until now. With over 50 dishes to choose from, we offer something for everyone and now in convenient takeout and delivery format. In support of those who are giving their all for us, we offer 20% off to frontline workers and we will give 10% off if you mention 105.9 The Region. We use fresh ingredients served to you in sealed takeout containers for your safety. Go to urbanmaharajas.ca for our full menu or hours of operation. Urban Maharajas, Indian cuisine at its organic best. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. In the famous words of Ross Geller, 
pivot. If this pandemic has taught entrepreneurs anything, it's that you have to adapt to a changing environment quickly. Joining me now is Michelle Datis, who is the passionate storyteller and founder of MD Media Incorporated, an award-winning video production and marketing agency. Michelle is also the co-founder of Adapt, Invent, Thrive, an online summit dedicated to helping you drive your business forward during these very unusual times. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So tell me, what was, how did the was this idea for the summit born? I'm, I'm assuming it had a lot to do with uh, COVID. It did. It certainly did. I have a lot of friends that uh, have bricks and mortar businesses and have customer facing businesses. And I was just devastated. Some of them, you know, had to shut down their doors permanently, lay off their staff. You know, it, it, it was just horrifying and I was deeply impacted. So I rallied three other marketers uh, together and they were crazy enough to join me. And I convinced them and I said, hey, listen, can we do something to give back? I really want to inspire people. If we can, the big dream is to give money, you know, help people's businesses financially as well as, you know, business support. And honestly, in the last six weeks, we've been able to pull off this crazy, insane online uh, conference. And we've been lucky enough to have some amazing speakers and support, you know, join us. Even just the thought of a conference run online is a perfect example of adapting to our new environment. And that's what, you know, entrepreneurs, business people need to do is sort of look at different ways to, to manage their business or perhaps even start a new business. No, that's exactly it. And that's the theme of the conference is to really look at those opportunities. And even with myself, I have a video production company. And obviously, I can't film in person right now. But I've been able to teach people how to film themselves. And then I'm editing and packaging. So I've been able to sort of switch up my business. But really looking at different opportunities, you know, different revenue streams, how can you sort of shift your business to really appeal to that online world and opportunity and you really regardless of COVID, you really have to think about online. And honestly, I hate to say it, but then your business really is dead. Like you really have to think about that. So tell me about some of the speakers that you've managed to, uh, to, to join you on this. Who's, who's coming on? Yeah. So super excited. Erica M was one of the first people to jump on board. Really lucky to have her. Uh, Tony Chapman, who is a marketing legend, Natasha Kaufman, who runs the PR world, uh, Jed Schneiderman, who also is really big with, um, with marketing. And we've just now brought on board uh, Claire, who represents Racton. And we're super excited to announce that they've become our presenting sponsor. And uh, we're going to be able to provide a $2,500 grant to business owners if they do register for our conference. And I think it's important to note that this conference is free. It is free. And that's one of the things and one of our, you know, important mandates with this is we wanted to make it accessible to everyone. We didn't want to have any barriers. This is all everyone's donating, you know, their time, every single person, including the speakers, we just wanted to give back and we wanted to make sure every single person across Canada had the opportunity to benefit from the insight from the financial grants and really get the opportunity to drive their businesses forward. So when is the conference? I don't think we've actually addressed that yet. When is the big day? Yeah, so it's a few short days away. I hate to say it. So it's May 27th. 
and um, you can register and you can get access to the live online panels. And there's also some pre-recorded videos that you have opportunities to watch. We have, you know, accountants and we have people in finance and marketing and video and different speakers that you can access the pre-recorded videos as well to really help you again, drive your business forward. So I'm curious how this works though in a, in online, is it, is it all, you know, will there be live um, recordings as well as pre-recordings and uh, is it, you get admittance to a room to watch? Good question. So we're actually using Zoom and what it'll be is there's three live panel discussions on the 27th. So if you register at adaptinventthrive.com, you can have access to the three different panels. One's at 10 a.m., uh, 12 p.m. and then 2 p.m. And then uh, as mentioned again, there's the pre-recorded videos. So the live panel discussions have our featured speakers, Erica, Natasha, Jed, Tony, and then the um, the recorded videos with other wonderful speakers as well. Okay, so after the conference, will this, this uh, material still be accessible for people? It will be. So um, you will have your first chance. And what's great about the live panel is you'll actually have the opportunity to have a Q&A. So that's sort of why you should do it live is you can speak to these, you know, Erica M will be answering your questions. So that's one of the incentives of doing it live. But you will have the opportunity if you register to access these videos afterwards you know i because i imagine in you're talking about this with people you must have come across some pr pretty inventive ways to adjust your business model yeah that's that's a good way so i i can think of the top of my head um so there's this lovely woman who runs a studio called the pink triangle studio in the east end and she's has like a dance studio. So she's actually, you know, pivoted her whole entire business. And now she does like online classes. So online dance classes, you know, you can do with your kids and whatnot. There's another woman I know who does art classes. And now she's sending, you know, art supplies and you can do it, you know, at your own home with your kids. Um, there's been a ton of really interesting, you know, ideas in terms of shifting businesses and I think it's going to continue. I actually think that's going to be the new normal to really think about, Yes, there's the client facing aspect, which is super important to business, but also thinking about how do you do things at home? Yeah, and I think we're seeing that more and more every day, you know, with announcements from big companies like Twitter, uh, you know, saying that and Shopify saying that their employees will continue to work at home um, post, you know, this pandemic. Uh, so we will be adapting and seeing new ways to do it. So it sounds that through this, you're also creating a community for people to offer support to each other uh, and um, help them find new ways to adapt to their business. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. We're really providing the inspiration to not be afraid to actually just go for it and to continue because I think there's one um, adjective to describe an entrepreneur, which is resilience. So I think you have to continually reinvent, keep going, keep on trucking and just go for it. And yes, the times have completely changed, but you know, you're an entrepreneur for a reason. You just have to keep on going. Okay. So where's the website where people can go and register for this again? Sure. It's adaptinventthrive.com. And you can also follow us on uh, social at adaptinventthrive.com. It's a mouthful. <laughs> and um, our hashtag is adaptinventthrive. Okay, incredible. We'll put all that up on the video that we put out on social media. And everybody listening today has just heard this. So I wish you all the success with this. It sounds like such a great idea. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No.
Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Hey, it's Robin Road, and this week's care package allows you to express your individuality while focusing on our favorite fashion accessory, kicks. You know, shoes. Lines by Laura takes your design and transfers it to the shoes you provide her. Hand-painted with precision, sealed with a protective coat, your new personalized shoes are 100% wearable and water stain resistant. Your fashion statement will be one for the ages. So if you're looking to exercise your creative muscle for yourself or someone else, this week's care package from 105.9 The Region and Lines by Laura is for you. To enter, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, tag a friend, and you're eligible for delivery of your ready-to-wear personalized kicks. Contest closes May 28th. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. You just Dog rescue adoption is a relatively recent social phenomenon, largely driven by millennials, especially women. The rise of social media, globalization, and a desire to change the world one dog at a time has created a demand for adopt, don't shop dogs. Joining me now to discuss her new documentary, Rescuing Rex, is Leora Eisen, an award-winning Canadian filmmaker specializing in long-form documentaries. Her work has appeared on CBC, Radio Canada, TVO, Discovery, History and Documentary Channel, as well as broadcasters and platforms around the world. She lives in Toronto with her rescue cat, Willie. Welcome to the show, Leora. Thanks so much for having me. So I started to watch, I have to tell you, we're going to start on a little bit of an emotional note. I lost my dog this week. Oh, no. She was 14 healthy right until the very end. Um, totally unexpected. So when your documentary came into my inbox, I just, oh, my heart, because, you know, you, you get so attached to these animals. They are really part of your life. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. So watching this, this documentary was um, um, heartwarming and a little bit concerning at the same time. So tell me what was sort of the driving factor behind starting this project? Well, my daughter, when she was in grad school, uh, she and her roommates decided to foster dogs. And these dogs had come from Turkey, Mexico, all over the world. Um, I had never really heard of this before because when I was growing up, uh, if you wanted a dog, you went to the pet store, which thank goodness you can't do that anymore, uh, or a breeder. Uh, So this was something new to me. Uh, Then my niece, her dog passed away, and I'm very sorry to hear about yours. Um, She went to the Toronto Humane Society to see uh, if she could adopt a dog. They had dogs from other countries. She went back two weeks later after the quarantine period. They were all gone. There was such a high demand. And I thought, there's something going on here. And I was so curious. I wanted to find out about it. And it is uh, an amazing phenomenon. Uh, We're a nation of dog lovers. Uh, Canadians have something like 8.2 million dogs at least uh, in their homes. Those figures are from 2018. Um, 
And uh, we welcome foreigners in this country. Uh, it seems to be less of an issue uh, here than in other places in terms of what nationality is your dog. <laughs> right. So it's funny watching that, uh, you know, I, I was able to see a sneak peek of this. And at the beginning, there's this part where you're talking to all these dog owners and they're talking about where their dogs are from. And I've actually kind of caught me off guard. I don't think I realized that a lot of these um, dogs were coming from other countries. Um, it's really quite surprising. And I guess when you think about it, we wouldn't have that many strays in Canada because we do have strict rules and regulations around, around stray dogs. Yes, because we have fairly strict uh, spaying and neutering bylaws. So you don't get the same uh, kind of overpopulation issues, except in some northern remote communities where they don't have access or money uh, for vet services. Um, and so we don't share the same kind of issues that they do in some of the countries I went to, uh, I went to Taiwan, surprisingly also the southern US, uh, because, you know, in some parts of the states, uh, you know, like here, uh, you won't see stray dogs running around. But in the southern US, uh, there's a huge overpopulation problem. Right. So what was one of the things that probably like really kind of maybe su surprised you when you were filming this? I think for me, it was learning that, you know, this is a little bit of the Wild West, as you call it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. There really aren't any regulations governing foreign dogs coming into Canada other than you have to at the border. Uh, you bring them in as a commercial import, but all that means really is you have to present paperwork saying they had a rabies vaccination. Um, and all these rescue groups are uh, springing up all across the country, uh, bringing in thousands of dogs. Um, and for millennials especially, uh, and especially women, um, you know, they're getting married, married later, having kids later. Um, they're much more aware of animal welfare issues than we used to be because of the internet. Um, they're on social media and social media plays a big role because um, there are all these sites where you can kind of scroll through pictures of adorable dogs up for adoption, kind of like Tinder for dogs and you might meet your perfect match. Um, so there are a whole range of factors uh, making this happen. Unfortunately, occasionally, and I would say the vast, vast majority of people are in this for the right motivations, the right reasons, uh, for ethical reasons. They want to save dogs that might otherwise die. Um, but there's the odd person cropping up who's kind of taking advantage of our compassion. And also, I think... Um the people who are adopting these dogs are likely unprepared for that. These dogs come with some issues. Some of them do. Some, and you yeah. know, a dog from a breeder can come with issues right. too. But um, often these dogs are from the street or from shelters where nobody really knows their exact history. Uh, they may have been abused. Uh, they may have diseases. Uh, they may have social anxiety, they may be scared of certain kinds of people, they may be aggressive towards other dogs, and that's not their fault. That's because of 
uh, how they've been raised. Uh, they may not have had much contact with humans. And so uh, most responsible dog rescues will at least place them with an experienced foster first so that um, some of these issues will come to the fore. So a, an adopter without a lot of experience won't suddenly find themselves faced with all these problems. But, but it does exist and it is challenging. And unfortunately, sometimes love is not enough. Um, uh, you might need a trainer, you might need uh, lots of vet visits before you get it sorted out. Right. I think there's this, there's this, you know, myth that, you know, these dogs are not as expensive, you know, won't, won't require as much of an investment, but that's actually, they require the same investment as any dog. Uh, you know, you will have to probably invest in some training if you're not capable of doing it yourself. They have the vet bills. So they come with all those things. So I think anybody who's adopting needs to be fully aware. This is a big commitment and a long-term commitment as well. It is a big commitment and a long-term commitment, but um, you know, adoption fees are generally lower than going to a breeder, for example, which is in the thousands. Um, but I don't think that is the primary motivation for, for most people. They really think, um, why would we go to somebody breeding puppies for profit when there's all these homeless dogs uh, seeking love? Um, so it's, it's, it, it was really moving to watch the relationship and the bond form between some of these dogs and their, uh, adopters. Yeah, there, it is a special relationship for sure between, um, dogs and owners. So did you come across any, uh, you know, of these rescue agencies that maybe were not credible or are in Canada? We, we're very lucky to have. Uh, great rescue operations running? Yeah, I mean, they crop up everywhere. Again, they're in the minority, but I went to California to tell the story of um, a puppy scammer, basically. This is a, a woman who um, got puppies from Mexico, uh, posted herself as a nonprofit on Facebook, uh, posted all these sad and adorable pictures of, of puppies, and um, they all had a really lethal disease called parvo and um, unknowing families who were so excited to get their first dog ended up with puppies that were dying within a, a week. Oh, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. But uh, again, that's the minority. And then you see these stories, um, a young man named Harrison that I met who adopted this scruffy little dog from Texas who was terrified because he had been uh, at a hoarder's uh, property and uh, obviously was traumatized. And Harrison uh, adopted Nigel and um, revealed to me that he had some challenges of his own. Harrison has struggled with some mental health issues and having somebody or a, a creature to care for um, and love and, and gain trust um, has done tremendous things for his life. So it's not just us saving dogs, it's dogs saving us as well. Absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. Uh, so how long did it take you to film this documentary? Uh, well, we filmed over a period of nine months trying to follow the dogs through their journey um, in 2019. Of course, it was a different world then because now with COVID, um, you know, rescue has 
almost come to a complete halt. And in some ways, what's amazing is because we're in lockdown, uh, everybody wants a dog. Uh, they're staying home. Uh, so there's a huge demand. But on the other hand, um, it's very difficult for places like the people we know in, in Texas um, who are having a hard time uh, getting their dogs uh, adopted out. So um, it's a mixed bag. Okay. So when does your uh, documentary uh, air then? Uh, it debuts May 30th on TV Ontario, both uh, broadcast and online. You can watch it online uh, as of that night, anytime. And uh, yeah, we're really excited. We're hoping um, some people will check out our social media and post uh, pictures of their dogs or their rescues uh, dressed up for the premiere. Okay, wonderful. And what's your, uh, so what are your social handles then so people can find you? Uh, well, if you go to our website, rescuingrex.com, it's got all the social handles on it and you can also watch the trailer. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great. You got a friend. Oh, yeah. You've got a friend. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is the ever-lovely Anne Brody, who is bringing us some really amazing human interest stuff this week. Blowing your mind this week. Honestly, the, some of the projects out there are just astonishing. Well, the first one that you, you, um, I watched the trailer for is The Painter and the Thief. So this, I think we should start by saying this is a real story. It's a real story. And oddly enough... A friend of hers had started shooting her painting this incredible uh, piece of hers, large format painting, Swan Song. Uh, from its inception up to its uh, completion, she put it in a gallery along with one other painting and um, great success. And overnight, it was stolen and the images of the people were clear on CCTV. So one of the guys is arrested and tried, and she talks to him, which she probably shouldn't have done at the trial, and falls in love with him and gives him everything. He's a drug addict. He's a serial prison goer, a hardened criminal, covered in these tattoos, and her heart goes out to him. So she keeps up with him and nurses him through a big car crash. He can't tell her where the paintings are because he was so wasted at the time. And then her husband draws attention to the fact that she has a history of entering into dangerous relationships with men. Well, what? wait a minute. You just blew my mind. You said her husband. I was, I was her thinking, husband. What? I know. I know, right? Well, it kind of sneaks up on you. You're not really sure. <laughs> it just seems like she, the two of them are, so, the thief and the painter, they just seem like such broken people. And watching them try to forge this relationship and see it, you know, change over several years. Holy cow. So that's an incredible documentary. So where, where can people find that? On VOD. Okay. For it. Yeah. Okay. What do we got next? Another shocker. Oh, goodness. Do you remember Jane, the Jane Doe, Doe versus Wade? Roe versus 
right? Yeah, well, I, I oh. do. I do. And, um, yeah. and so when the trailer came up, when I watched the trailer uh, just before we spoke, I was kind of blown away by this person's story. I had no idea. But on the tra- there is a huge twist right at the end that's not on the trailer. I want you to watch it. Uh, oh, for sure. So where is that available? Norma McCorvey. That's on FX and FX on Hulu. Norma McCorvey was Jane Rowe. And she, was, uh, she became the poster child for the uh, pro-lifers. And then this priest who'd been harassing her and threatening death to her, this evangelist, drew her over to his side and she became pro-life in a very highly covered explosive, you know, story. So, and then to see what happens at her end of life is, <laughs> I'm still recovering. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting the way they set that up with the trailer that this was her end of life confession. Yeah, but you have it to watch it. It definitely makes you want to watch more. Yeah, and it's a documentary, so it's just like an hour and a half or so. So it's not a series. Okay, so let's get into Jeffrey Epstein. Ew, makes my skin crawl, but I think we have to discuss it. Um, yeah. It's a very good documentary, executive produced by Joey Berlinger, and he's an amazing uh, filmmaker. Lisa Bryant actually directs it. So it goes behind the scenes of these uh, multiple tens and dozens of women who were abused by him as a child in several locations. Locations these women couldn't easily leave including one island, uh, and they all came forward, and it sort of helped launch the Me Too thing, you know, after Bill Cosby. Um, but the, the upshot is that he had such evil intent from the beginning. When he was sent to jail for 45 years, he uh, sent his entire fortune, valued at $557 million, to a trust fund in the Virgin Islands, so that the victims could never have it. It's tough. That's just unreal and, um, and grotesque on so many levels. Grotesque, that's the word for it. It really is. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go past this one and move on to um, a mockumentary. Oh, it's so I've actually funny. never heard that term before, but when yeah, I watched like, the trailer, I laughed. I laughed so oh hard. Oh my God, yeah. A mockumentary, that's like Best in Show, those Christopher Guest, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene O'Levy films, A Mighty Wind and stuff, where it's, it's, it's a fake documentary. So um, the two of them, Rob Bryden, his uh, the comedy partner, Steve Coogan, go on these trips every few years. This is their fourth trip film in 10 years. So what they do is they go to these places to cover them for a magazine and they eat the best food and they go to the finest places and then they have all these weird adventures. But what ties them all together is just this incredible wit and like tart-tongued sarcasm that they have between them. It's just hysterical. And then um, at one point, a refugee that's, that Steve Coogan had met on a prior trip who had landed on a, des- on a shore in Italy, uh, walks up to him in Greece and says, hi, do you want to see my refugee camp where I live? So these two go to this refugee camp and, uh, you know, and then it's back to the fine life. <laughs> it's, and then for the first time in all of these 10 years of, of the trip film, something really real happens. 
uh, and it changes things. But honestly, these two will just kill you. They're so funny. They are. Okay, so that's available on VOD. Uh, Unforgotten, you have an article up on what she said about one of the characters in this. Yeah, Kevin McNally. He's pretty cool. Um, It's a great series about cold cases that involve groups of people. So if something bad happened 20 years ago and these college students were messing around, now they're grown men, they're influential, powerful, whatever, and they've got to keep a lid on it when the body's found. That's, what's, that's what has happened here. And Nicola Walker is one of my favorite English actresses. She plays detective leading this investigation. So it's uh, super worthy, super worthy stuff. Okay, fantastic. So for all of these and more, people can find them on whatshesaidtalk.com. Of course, you're on the radio every week with me on 105.9 The Region. And they can follow you on social everywhere. Thanks, Candace. You have a great day. Okay, bye. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. I don't know about you, but I am dreaming of travel pretty much 24-7 now as this lockdown continues to drag on. So we're kicking off a new series on What She Said that will allow us to plan now and travel later. Joining me now is Amalia Malidi from Tahiti Tourism to kick off our travel dreams with a bucket list destination. Welcome to the show, Amalia. Thank you so much, Candice, and thank you for having me today. Oh, I was so excited to start this with you. Tahiti is just, it's heavenly. I've had the pleasure of being twice. I hope to make it thrice someday. Uh, Amazing, amazing destination. So let's talk about, because I think people think it's just honeymooners. You are right. For the longest time, the islands of Tahiti has always been sort of looked at as this honeymoon destination. But as you can attest, it is definitely the opposite. Um, The islands of Tahiti really lends itself to a variety of travelers, including solo travelers, female travelers, um, because it's a safe destination, which I think is on the minds of many right now. Um, And it offers just an array of activities. Um, So everything from your soft adventure to your hard adventure. What I mean is you can go snorkeling with the gorgeous fish in the blue lagoons to zip lining, paddle boarding, canoeing, hiking. I mean, the island, the, the country, French Polynesia, consists of 118 islands. And yes, I will repeat that, 118 islands. That was one of the things that I, you know, when I first went, my first time to, a Tahiti, to the islands of Tahiti, I didn't realize that there were that many islands there. But also what I was really enamored with was how different each island can be from each other. So it's important to when you're planning a trip there to plan to see at least a few of them. Absolutely. And, and our most iconic islands, just to kind of shed a little bit more light to that, and I'm sure you visited, is a Tahiti, um, which is the island that you fly into, Papiete, which is the capital of Tahiti. Um, Morea, which is sort of the sister island, and Bora Bora, of course. So those are the three most popular islands. But part of my job is to tell the story about the islands of Tahiti beyond those three islands, because there's so much more to offer. So 
I always recommend, for example, anyone who is a scuba diving lover to definitely visit the Tuamatu Islands, which is one of the five archipelagos um, that is highly rated. The Jacques Cousteau's of the world visit there for their scuba diving um, and all kinds of you know, divers beginning to advance. So that is something I always try to push. I also like to share the story about our local um, culture and the Tahitian culture and how people can get in touch with that because the odds of Tahiti is quite different than most tropical destinations. Tahitians are incredibly hospitable and they've created this um, concept called the guest house. So we stayed at one, we stayed at one uh, my daughters and I, yep. and it was, it ended up being a complete highlight of our trip because as you said, they are so hospitable. And at first it felt a little awkward because we were in, in their home and we're not used to that. Uh, but by the end of the trip, they had turned into lifelong friends, and it was really just uh, such a wonderful experience getting to know them and their family uh, that I would yeah. absolutely recommend anybody do that when they go to Tahiti and budget-friendly. Absolutely. I think that is probably one of the best ways to afford a trip to the Islands of Tahiti because, again, there's this sort of misconception that it's this unattainable, unrealistic, expensive destination, but if you travel smart and do your research and call us, we will guide you into the right direction, right? And provide you with insight on where to stay, what to do, um, and then how to save money along the way. And of course, we're not taking away from that beautiful experience and the overwater bungalow in Bora Bora, because at the end of the day, most people want to experience that, right? Not even just the honeybirders. I have to say, I've traveled there by myself, and I absolutely love it. Well, I, so I when, I went, entire, like, when I went the first time, I stayed in an overwater bungalow, and I was, again, alone by myself, and it was... It yep. was it was magic. There's just no other way to describe it. And I think that, yes, everybody should do it when they go, if they can, um, yeah. to experience it. But, you know, one night, two nights, that's, that's enough. And that's then you enough. can change it up. And what's beautiful about that is it's your moment to sort of reconnect with yourself, um, reconnect with your, your spirit, your mind, your body. And there's a plethora of wellness spas all around the, the main islands. So you can get that beautiful, you know, treatment at the Intercon Falasso Resort, for example. Almost all the hotels have, actually the major hotel chains have that experience um, that they'll offer to their to their clients. So, so when we stayed at the uh, Bora Bora Pearl Resort, I had, uh, I think it's, I believe it's called a Tarumi massage, a Tarumi, where they yes. walk on your back. And I... <laughs> So initially, my muscles were so sore after that massage because, I mean, it's an intense massage. Mm -hmm. And then about 24 hours after that, I never felt my, my muscles never felt so relaxed. It was absolutely incredible. Um, I've been looking for one in Canada. I have not been able to find one here. So this is so my- Let me ask you a question. I have Did to go they back. use Hanoi oil? Oh, of course. I came back so with- that's why it. you'll never find it anywhere. I came back with a ton of it and I just ran out. So my excuses to go back are just racking up. Massage, manoil oil, the vanilla. You can't beat Tahitian vanilla. Yes. And I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up because having like Tahitian vanilla in your pantry 
is like having sugar. It's a must. I, every time I go back, I buy a stash of these um, sort of tubes of Tahitian vanilla grounded powder and I use it in almost everything from my baked goods to like my cocktails. Just last week, I did a webinar on how to make a Tahitian uh, vanilla punch. So happy to share that with you, uh, Candice, so you can share with your, your viewers. Um, but it is just magnificent. And the smell, like you, you're just sort of in it, the, the different aromas that you capture there from the tiare flower that you have in your hair to the beautiful vanilla smells to the pineapple plantations on the island of Morea, which I don't know if you had the um, opportunity to see, but that is such a fun thing. And I see families doing that too, being a mother of two, just exploring this plantation and picking your own pineapples and just standing there in the midst of this like beauty is, is pretty special. Sorry, we have, I just want to, we have a couple of minutes left. I just really want to touch on, I think yeah. what is most spectacular about Tahiti is that natural beauty. It is yeah. everywhere you look. It's, it's, you can't get away. It's, I don't want to say this like you can't get away from it. It's just, you're surrounded. It's like being enveloped in this just, absolutely breathtaking scenery everywhere. I agree. And it, it is a pristine, untainted country. Um, and it's not something that the locals take for granted. They are really conscientious of their, of their flora and fauna, their fragile ecosystems. So they do everything in their power to try and preserve them as much as possible because it's sacred to them. The islands of Tahiti is their home and they want to preserve it for generations to come. So this is certainly a destination where you will notice a lot of sustainable travel. So any viewers that are very big on um, sustainable tourism, the islands of Tahiti offers that. It's, it's a very purpose-driven um, experience. So it allows people to really think green and it allows people to contribute to its preservation which I'm not sure if you know, um, there's an organization called Coral Gardeners. I'd love to send you more information, but it's basically run by these two young fellows, Tahitians, who had this passion to save their coral reef. And so what they've now done is that they've started to plant corals in the name of a, of a buyer. So you can actually become a, a coral owner and name it after yourself or, or someone I have, else. I have one, uh, I, I have plans to visit it. Oh. it there it's been planted in my name and uh, i know the gps coordinates of it and everything i'm, I'm <laughs> fantastic so people very are good there. there's 118 islands so it's a lot to, you know and we have time to plan and time to think so where do people go if they want to start planning this dream trip where do people go so i would first encourage them to visit our website which is tahititourism.ca um, right on that website, you will find lots of information, everything from how to plan your trip. We also have what we call Tahiti specialists who can help curate trips. So you can just send an email and ask them for, a, you know, sort of a trip quote or some ideas on how to plan a trip because you really want someone who has expertise in the destination. It, it is a very complex destination. It's not like taking a flight to, you know, Mexico and, and, plopping and, and being at an all-inclusive. This is a really active trip. So we really encourage everyone to visit our website, um, tahititourism.ca. And, and I would say your social channels are yeah. like eye candy. 
we are very active on our Facebook, and I highly recommend those that, that are on Facebook to follow us. It's Tahiti Tourism CA for Canada. And every day we're posting something inspirational, um, something special and indicative of the destination. So absolutely, I can be, I agree with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a well-needed break. Uh, in, our, in our world today, and uh, I hope people start planning their dream trip to Tahiti, the islands of Tahiti. Yes, and as Tahitians say, marururoa, which is thank you very much, Candice, for this opportunity and for allowing me to share the beauty about the islands of Tahiti. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for What She Said for this week. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended interviews and complete shows. I'll be back next week with more What She Said. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.